Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Canuck Central is brought to you by Grip Auto Entire, quality service you can trust, and 14 locations to serve you. Uh, people love talking about JT Miller, apparently. Mm-hmm. Sat. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, people do a lot of criticism. Some people standing up for him. Uh, this one here, Pete and Poco, JT, a distraction. BS. I love when JT stands up to the media. Media makes him the whipping boy, and he pushes back. Then the media says he's a distraction. You need content. He won't be bullied. Rinse and repeat. That's Pete and Poco. Uh, he is a point-per-game center. That's worth $8 million bucks. Not a point-per-game quite this year. And... The, the, the point with JT's offense is, and hey, uh, not too dissimilar from last year where nearly 50% of his points uh, came at, uh, well, just over 50% of his points came at five on five. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year, it's uh, right at 50%. I think he's got 15 points at, uh, at five on five, which is a low number. You know, so he's doing a lot of his damage still on the power play. His offense at five on five Needs to be better, especially if he's going to play through the middle uh, on his own. Um, all right, let's bring in our next guest. He is uh, Irfan Gafar, the fourth period Canucks insider. What's happening, Irf? What's going on, fellas? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. You, uh, do you ring it in well? Did you go to the Seahawks yeah. game on Sunday? No, no, I, oh, okay. I didn't go to the Seahawks game. It would have been fun. Yeah, would have been fun. It would have been a good one to be at. I, I thought about it for like a, a brief moment on uh, on the 31st evening and then i was like you know what uh so, <laughs> sunday morning came and i was like i'm not in any any position to drive right now so after uh after josh jacobs uh ripped my heart right out of my soul <laughs> oh yeah that, uh, was that the... game that i went to i think i decided to that's the one that's going to cost the uh the seahawks a playoff spot all right yeah uh, it's definitely the one all right that's all we're allowed here on uh, on canuck central before people start to get uh upset so uh, uh jt miller uh how do you think or feel about the, the discourse around JT Miller through the weekend? Oh, I, look, I think that it's warranted for sure. I mean, he's not, he's not playing well. And then he comes out and says, okay, but I'm doing this, that, and the other. It just, it, it's a bad look, I think. And when you want your big money guys, we've said this before, and your leaders to be your leaders, he's got an A on his jersey. It optically just didn't look good with what happened, right? You, you know, you yell at your goalie and want to get him off the ice. You bang your stick on the back of the net. Just, it just doesn't look good. If you're, you've, you've got an A on your jersey for a reason, right? You're supposed to be one of the guys that's, that's leading this team by example. And unfortunately for this weekend, he didn't do that. And I think that that's the biggest thing. Um, but to go out and say that, you know, JT's the, the, the biggest problem um, in that room, I, I don't think is fair. To be honest, I think that there, there's a lot more than, than just that, um, that that's been going on. But, I mean, uh, look, JT Miller was traded twice. And like, this isn't something new that we're hearing about JT Miller. This is something new that we're experiencing in Vancouver as members of the media and then people that cover the game and fans that watch this team. But, um, you know, there was issues in New York. There was issues in Tampa. And now you've got a guy that you're committed to for $56 million over a really long time. And now this stuff's coming out and his contract hasn't even kicked in yet. So that's why it just, it looks even worse than it, than it really is. 
I mean, it's one of those things like, is it, is it optics or is it as bad as it actually is? Cause I mean, we've talked about this before, but I think it does bear repeating. I don't, th- I think the, the issue that the organization may have with that team in general and the room in general, isn't that they have a bunch of guys who don't like each other and, or like there's one toxic individual. It's that, I don't know if they care enough either way about it. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we talked about. It's like, JT is friends with most of the guys in that leadership group. They're pretty tight, right? That's everything that we've heard. It's not like he's a toxic individual in the team, so to speak. But I think the bigger issue is, do they have enough accountability and strong enough leadership to keep each other in check? And we talked about this in this entire season. There isn't enough accountability internally, it seems, with that group. No, I agree with you 100%. There isn't at all. And that's why... We talk about this week in and week out with this team, mm-hmm. right? And there isn't. I mean, Lewis Patterson's having a hell of a season. And you know what? Maybe one day he will be the captain of the Vancouver Canucks if they can keep him and, and he's here for a long time. But right now, it's, it's, it's not. He's leading by example. He's letting his play do the talking. You know, we've talked about Bo Horvat and, and his leadership. And, then you, you know, you bring in a guy like JT Miller who, who wants to be a part of, you know, the, the solution here. And then you've got younger guys like Quinn Hughes, right? And Oliver Eklund Larson and, you know, like guys like that. And they're a little bit older, Tyler Myers. And like, in all reality, like Luke Shen is probably their best leader right now mm-hmm. for, for guys that go up and, and, and say things and, and can get, you know, the, the attention of the room and hold that room. And that's saying something, you know, and, and look, I like Luke Shen a lot. And I think that a lot of people in the dressing room do as well. Um, and people that cover the team, but it's, it's your right side. It's the accountability factor. And I don't know if that starts right at Bruce or it goes even above that as well, but within that room, there really isn't none, you know, and, and, and you look at guys in the past, you know, you've, you've had the Chris Tanev mm-hmm. and guys like Jacob Marshall and obviously Henrik and Daniel Sedin and, and players like that. But right now it's, it's a lot of individuals who are just going about their business. Well, you, you know, you mentioned that. And, and I do see, we saw Luke Shen, we saw it on the ice on the first home game. Um, yeah. You know, him and JT having, a, you know, that whatever interaction that was, I don't want to call it a spat because it really wasn't a spat. It was more like, you know, <laughs> he pointed something out, he said whatever, and they got off the ice. It really wasn't that big of a thing, but it was something that we talked about. But the problem here, you know, the way I see it as well is everyone respects Luke Shen, but Luke Shen's a free agent at the end of the season. He's 33 years yeah. old and he's making 800K, right? Like, it's like you respect what he says, you listen to what he says. But how much is that resonating in terms of like, oh, man, like his presence, I really got to be aware of here. Like, this is a core guy here long term. I think when, when we talk about the type of guys that keep hold and hold people accountable, I think it's, it's the type of leaders that are... Because money matters, right? Like guys who make a lot of money of matters and guys that have that, you know, bigger spotlight matters. I think that's what you want. You want one of those guys to become that type of leader that's actually able to hold everybody else accountable, but also hold themselves accountable as well. And I think that's what we're not seeing enough of from this group as a whole. Yeah. And look, I think that also if you have a letter on your jersey, there's also that responsibility, right? You show up every night, you be a leader. You don't you don't show up your goalie or you don't yell at him. And I get it. He's the moment. They're trying to score a goal. You want to get off the ice. You want to 40 something seconds left on the clock or a little bit more, whatever it was. But that's just something you don't do. And I think that, you know, when you went back at it and said you didn't think there was anything wrong with it, I think that's what pissed people off. You know, you're looking at a goalie who's, you know, trying to make a name for himself and, and maybe stick if he can for a little bit for the rest of the season, as long as, you know, Thatcher Demko's hurt, and he's been a, basically an NHL goalie for, for the majority of his career. And it's just, it was just a bad look. And I think that that's what it was. But to pinpoint it and say that, you know, everyone in that locker room doesn't like JT or, or, or JT walks into that room and is, you know, uh, 
for lack of a better word, an ass. I, I, I don't think that's true. I, I just don't. And, and I, and I think that guys in the room uh, believe that as well. And I, and that's just really what I've heard. You know, uh, Jim Rutherford uh, talked to a couple of reporters, Ian McIntyre and, and uh, Coos over at the province about JT Miller and, you know, we heard the story from Elliot a couple of weeks ago that, uh, you know, the Canucks have only one untouchable and it's it's Elias Patterson. Uh, do you think anything's changed on how the front office feels about JT Miller? I don't know. Not really. Yeah. I think it's funny because when you see things like this happen and, you know, rather Jim Rutherford or Patrick Alvin goes out and they do the couple of interviews and things like that. And then they say what they do end up saying. It's just it's kind of to take the heat off the players and put the heat on the management group because they can handle that. Right. It's a tactic that they do all the time. Yeah. There's, there's nothing new there. We, we see it every time there's an issue in the, with this team, this season, or even into last season, you know, Jim Rutherford or Patrick Overy, someone's coming out and talking to the media or doing an interview. It's just the way, it's just the way things go. Um, and look, they're not the only team that does it. There's a lot of other teams around national hockey like that, that, that do that too as well. So I don't think that, their their view of JT has changed. Um, I think that, you know, they think he's a very, very good hockey player, but there's definitely issues in his game that, that he needs to work on. And I think for, for JT as well, I, I think he knows that. I think he's mature enough to realize that there's stuff in his game that he needs to work on, but it's hard for him to admit it. It's one of those weird things. Well, it is, but at the same time, like... I see people saying, and Raymond was mentioning, it's like, hey, if if these guys believe in JT Miller still, what does that, what kind of hope does that does that give us fans that this organization can figure it out? I mean, my my take on, and I mentioned this before too, is if your evaluation on JT Miller changed after the first thirty five games of the season, then I think the entire basis of how you evaluated the player and signed him to a seven year contract was completely flawed and messed up, and that to me would show less. Um, wherewithal and ability and, and faith in this front office? Because how do you turn back your opinion on a decision when you have all the information in front of you because of what happened these first 35 games? And anything that's happened this, over these five, first 35 games isn't anything we haven't seen. No. Like, we're not seeing anything or we heard. haven't seen. Or heard. Like, right? So it's not like they're, they, they headed into this with their eyes completely closed. He's got to be better. They believe he's going to be better. But organizationally, uh, Earth, I just don't believe at any point that the issue is we don't believe in him as a player anymore. And I don't think that's going to change the rest of the season. The bigger question, I think, is what are they going to do to truly change this leadership group? Because clearly it's not working well enough. And, and where, when is that change going to happen? Well, I mean, then it's then the next person you're really pointing your finger at is Bo. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's are they going to, A, try and make a move and – and take another run at signing this guy long-term or B have those conversations here in the next couple of weeks where with other teams in the national hockey, league can say, okay, you know, we're, we're ready to engage in talks. Let's see what you have. Someone make us an offer and let's get this ball rolling. I think it's probably going to happen. If it does, if Bo gets moved, it's got to be around the all-star break a little bit before that. I think the deadline's going to be too late to be completely honest for the Vancouver Canucks. Um, so something's going to happen with Bo. I, I would anticipate it happening sooner than later. Well, and this is sort of the time that, uh, you know, talk picks up around the league. I heard Don Waddell on with uh, Jeff Merrick yeah. this morning, and he was saying, you know, he was on the phone with three different teams. There's a couple of big-name forwards that uh, could get moved here in the next little while, and it obviously made me 
think about Bo <laughs> being one of those possibilities, but there are some other names out there, as as we know. There's a few quite uh, big unrestricted free agents that could get moved in, in the short term here before, before the deadline. Uh, the, the question mark is, you know, I think for this team, and, and we heard when when Rutherford spoke to us a couple of months ago, the now infamous interview. You know, we basically said there's there's going to be a point where we uh, we start looking and and feeling more about next year than we do this one here. And I I wonder if that point has has already come for this team. Yeah, and especially if you're making a decision with a player like Bo Horvat or a player like let's just say Brock Besser or or, or guys that you can potentially you know garner pretty good return from is you're not only just thinking about next year like are you are you selling it off but you're also thinking about the next couple of years where you're gonna put yourself in a position to go in and and not just squeak into the playoffs not hope that you're playing some meaningful games in march for every season where it's your legitimate you know threat in the pacific division and in the western conference because that's where you want to be but right now like we said it before since the beginning of this season even at the end of last season this team is not constructed to be competitive right now yet. It's not. And that's on, you know, the, the management group right now. And at some point, yes, it is on the players because, you know, some of the efforts haven't been good at all, right? And that's an individual and that's team as well. You know, you can't always spend everything on the goalie or the defense or the forwards, but collectively in certain games, they just haven't been good at all. So we're into a new year. Are the Canucks fully, you know, not sold on this season and, and wanting to look for next year? I, I'm not sure they're there yet, but it definitely is getting close to that. Well, and, and on top of that, you know, we're, we're watching Connor Bedard uh, do what he's doing <laughs> uh, at, the, at the World Junior, and everybody's like, tank harder for Bedard, you, you know. Uh, and, and I get it. You know, the guys from Vancouver and all these different things is put up more points than any player for Canada has at the World Junior ever. Um, it, it's, it's damn impressive. I just – I don't see a world where the Canucks could have tanked harder for Bedard. Like, don't sign Mikheyev. Don't trade for Ethan Bear. What does that add? Like, a win? Maybe two wins total between those two players? Well, right now, they're, they have the eighth worst record, ninth worst win percentage. Yeah. And if they have four fewer points, you're, I mean, right now, they have a chance at Bedard. Yeah, they do. So, I, And I also, like, I, look, I think if you're, if they're really... But I don't know how much more they could trade beyond their, the, the, the pending unrestricted free agents, is what I'm saying. Well, if you're going to tank well, the rest you, of the well, season. Well, well, then you trade your goalie. Yeah. Right. Or just shut him At down for the rest of the season. Yeah. yeah, or just shut him down for the rest of the year. Exactly. That could be an option. But, I mean, <laughs> look, it's, it's, it's not going to do that. But Even then, they're not going to be a bottom five team, though. Chances are. No. And then are you going to take your chances at the lottery? I mean, your best bet at be, like your best bet at being a bottom five team this year would have been to trade JT last year at the deadline, mm-hmm. trade Bo this off season. Yeah. Don't sign Mikheyev. Don't sign Kuzmenko. Yeah. Right. Don't trade for Bear. That would have been your best pathway to it because you couldn't really move <laughs> anybody else, right? But I mean, like, but there's no guarantee that the roster with those guys would have still been bad enough. You may be exactly where the spot you're at right now, or maybe a couple of points fewer. But like, you're not a bottom three team. Yeah where the no. percentage points are high. Like, when you have those guys, that's unlikely to happen unless the wheels really come but, off. Okay, so here's my problem with that is you're not a bottom three team, but you're not a team that's good enough to just squeak into the playoffs. So you're no. right in that middle of the road. And that's where the problem is with this team for so long is they're not bad enough to be really bad to get Connor Bedard, but you're not good enough to almost make the playoffs. So organizationally, you have to look at it and say, what direction do we want to go here? Are we going to be bad for a few years and just be that bottom three team and see what happens in the draft? 
Or are we going to try and build this team to something to at least be a threat to even hope to make the postseason? Yeah, okay, that last season was great. You know, the, the Bruce Boudreaux effect was awesome. That was cool. But they still missed the playoffs. Yeah. Right? So they're still not good enough to make the playoffs. This year, okay, really, really bad start. Now they went on a run a little bit. Then they got okay. And then Pete Pedersen gets hot. You know, Bo's having the season that he's having. And then Demko gets hurt. And then now, where are they? So the direction of this team, the decision of that really needs to be made pretty soon about what type of team do they think they have or what type of team are they trying to build here? You just signed JT Miller to an eight-year, card, or eight-year contract and paid him a lot of money, right? Yeah. So what's, what, what's going to happen now? Like, I'm pretty sure that Elias Pedersen is going to want to know before he even sits down and thinks of a contract of where, where the direction of this team is going. Well, so, and honestly, you know, we talked about this before. I still believe that they're looking and they're, I mean, they're very willing to make those trades. Now, these players are not related, but I do find it interesting just in terms of transaction. Which transaction happens first? One involving Ethan Bear signing trade (laughs) or one involving Bo Horvat? Probably Bo Horvat. Because I think that's the one that you have to get on quick. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, like there's, there's almost like a kind of a, there's a deadline there. Cause you don't trade them by the trade deadline. Then what's, then what's going to happen? Then you're going to, then you, what, you're going to lose them for nothing yeah. or you're going to sign it or you're going to resign them. So that's, that, that, that's the tough one. And, and I think that right now he is your captain. He's still your captain until he's not. He's your lead. He's, he's your leading scores. Almost as many goals as anybody else in the national hockey league right now. So I think you owe it to him to try and figure out the best possible situation. Irf, uh, you're the best. Always appreciate the time, man. All right, gentlemen. Be well. Happy New Year. There is uh, Irfan Gafar, Canucks insider at the fourth period. Yeah. I love this tank talk. talk. This one says, yes, but now we are here. Do whatever it takes to be in the bottom 10. Be quiet and get off the air if you say anything else. <sighs> like I said, currently the Canucks have the eighth worst points record in the league. Points percentage, ninth worst. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know what else the Canucks could have done to be as poor as some of the teams like the the teams that are going to be in the bottom three this year are really bad yeah i i if you if you didn't like the, your best pathway to it would have been to trade jt last year yeah. trade bow this offseason not sign mikhaev yeah kuzmenko maybe you can argue that it was an elc and you're trying to take a longer term flyer that one could have still made sense to do but you don't bring mikhaev in for instance because you know he's going to impact the game he's a veteran who's good those are the ones that you would have to do and if you had you done that I think it would have given you a chance if you have a bottom five team, potentially, because yeah. you're losing some significant pieces. But if you do those things, is there a guarantee that Demko gets hurt? I mean, it's one of those, the butterfly effect. Like, you change one thing, everything else changes in terms of the outcome and yep. what happens. And, you know, just because some guys got hurt and underperformed doesn't mean they would have done so if the equation was different in training camp and different players, different field, different vibe. Sometimes the teams that are less talented, guess what they do? They work very hard. Oh, Arizona right now. Yeah, right. and they outperform where they're at. And th- it doesn't mean they're good, but but they would work super hard and overmax themselves and punch above their weight and be a 80-point team instead or 78-point team. So as long as you have those types of players, there's a chance that you can be around 500. So to your point, it was always going to be difficult as long as you have those core guys for you to give yourself an earnest chance heading into the season to have a bottom three record. Uh, on Ethan Bear, since you brought it up there with Earth. Uh, I know Elliot mentioned that uh, he thinks some talks could be happening between the Canucks and Ethan Bear shortly. Uh, for me, I've I've seen enough. I like the player. Uh, I like him even more next to Quinn Hughes lately. 
um, I, I'm sort of in on Ethan Bear remaining a Vancouver Canuck. <sighs> I mean, I'm just a bit more skeptical still. Mm. Like, I like what I've seen. Yeah. A lot of what I've seen. I also don't like some of the other things that I've seen. It comes down to upside for me. But yeah. I do believe there is a fit with him and another defenseman here long term. And another defenseman here. Yeah. Interesting. We can talk about it. We'll get into that in the second hour of the show. That's a tease for you. Also, Bruce Boudreaux. How do we evaluate his first half of the season, or at least the 2022 portion? And does he deserve a passing grade for how he's managed this club? That's next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central. Hour number two, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Come to you from the Kintech studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Uh, if you want to check it out on podcast, had an in-depth chat about J.T. Miller uh, earlier on. All of the uh, antics surrounding him. Some of the discussion surrounding him and his place in the Canucks locker room as well. That's uh, now to be found on the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Subscribe, leave a review. We do appreciate it. Um, watching the uh, Capitals and Sabres in the studio here, sad as we do mm-hmm. the show. T- this Tage Thompson guy, he's pretty good. He's not bad. I can't believe I said he was going to go away in the summer. <laughs> like, wow, that contract looks bad. No. But, like, a player that looked great last year and has added things to his game and looks even better this year. Well, uh, I mean, and he's just, like, bullying people now. It's incredible. Yeah. The stick handling, the uh, the bomb on the slap, uh, on the power play. Well, I mean, he's just so confident right now. Yeah. That's the biggest thing. I mean, he's super talented, but he just the confidence he's playing with, like, he just does whatever he wants half the time. <laughs> When you're that big, that fast, that skilled, uh, you can do a lot of things in this game, turns out. Uh, All right. So the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Big month coming up for this Canucks team, Sat. Yeah. They've got uh, a couple of tough ones this week against the Islanders and Colorado Avalanche. You've just got Nathan McKinnon back. And, of course, a trip to Florida, which is always difficult, though the Panthers aren't as uh, damning this year as they had been in years past. But Tampa Bay and Carolina are two of the best teams in the league uh, still to this day, and the Canucks are going to have to go through them in the next couple of weeks. It's about the same situation that they had last year. They worked their way back to 500 after bringing in Boudreaux, and they had this big January road trip coming up that they had to really do well in to show if they were going to continue on making a run through the rest of the season. They managed that trip and uh, ended up, you know, as we know, going on a bit of a run afterwards to make the playoffs a conversation all the way to the final week of the season. It doesn't feel as promising this year, though, under Bruce Boudreaux, who... <laughs> that's, that's being kind. As promising? No. Not, no, it, it does not quite. No. The vibes are nowhere near the same. The vibes just aren't there. He's not, he's not pulling the same strings. He's not pulling any strings. Or the, string, like, the strings really. he is pulling are not really working. Not many are, yeah. right? I mean, 
How do you evaluate Boudreaux this year? I don't know. I don't know how you can give a good evaluation of the job he's done. Now, you can always preface this by saying, hey, has the organization shown him a lot of confidence? Does he feel like he's on an island? And how much has that impacted the way he's coaching? And sure, we can talk about that, yep. whether they're justified excuses or not. But the results are not there. No. Like, regardless of the environment, like, he's not succeeding with the decisions that he's making. And I know uh, JT kind of took some flack and Rutherford took some flack for, for mentioning how JT's been having a lot of different line mates. He's been playing center, taking off center, and it's, and it's changed a lot. But I think that is also a reflection of how difficult it has been for Boudreaux to find a mix and find the right duos and right trios this season. And a lot of it falls on the players having to be better, like we talked about that. But he hasn't been able to find a right mix and a right duel. Yeah. Like the best duel we can talk about this season is Kuzmenko and Pedersen. Yep. And even at times, he's taken that away from Pedersen. He's he's healthy scratch Kuzmenko. Kuzmenko's gone away from the first power play unit at times. So even those decisions seem perplexing with a player that has had success. And recent games, he's playing 15 minutes a game here and there. And I'm like, why is Kuzmenko not playing more in a game you need more goals and you need to kind of come back? And he's shown he's offensively capable. So how much meat is he left on the bone with Kuzmenko at times? I think that's something you can criticize. But overall, he hasn't found answers. Yeah. And he hasn't found the right mix with your forward lines. And the fact that he's been so impatient out of the lack of results with him changing lineup so much. And even after wins, he's changing lines and changing D pairs and bringing guys in and out of the lineup. He, he, it comes off of a guy who's not very sure of the decisions he's making. Yeah. And I, I think that does create a level of frustration with the players as well. And not to give them excuses, because I've said plenty of times, and both of us have, you don't want to bail these guys out. They've had two coaches now. But I do see how a lot of his management day-to-day can wear on guys and is becoming frustrating to some point. And that's on the JT front. And he's playing a ton, and he has no leg to stand on. He's got to be better. But as much as I've criticized Garland, it seems like he's always on the knife's edge in terms of where he's going to be playing and how he feels about his standing in the lineup. He's actually been getting a lot of ice time lately. Lately, yes. Garland. Which has been surprising, given Bruce's <laughs> um, avoidance of wanting to like really commit to Garland, especially last year when he was actually playing well. It's a different story this year. There's there's a few things that that really stick out to me. You know, um, I don't think the vibes are there in the way that they were a season ago. Um, and when you're riding that hey new coach bump as they were last year, how long can you ride it for? But the thing that sticks out to me the most, Sat, everything Alvin and Rutherford talked about at the end of last year, as far as their question marks and why they didn't want to commit to Bruce Boudreaux, has sort of come true. Right? Mm-hmm. The structure has not been there. They haven't found solutions to some of their problems. We haven't seen some of the habits change of these players. Is that on the coach? Is it on the players? It's been a couple of coaches that they've continued to have the bad line change habit and the poor puck management habit. Part of it is who they are as players, but you've got to be able to find solutions Mm -hmm. as a coach. And he hasn't been able to find any of those things. They gave Bruce Boudreaux a better team this year than the one he was icing last year. And they haven't been able to find more consistent results. It's hard to give Boudreaux a passing grade 
for what he's done with this team so far this year. Process-wise, defensively, they're playing worse hockey this year than they were last year. Yeah. This is throughout the entire season. Even through their, their worst hockey, the first 25 games, when Travis was still the head coach of this team, they were better defensively than what they are this season. Or what, bottom five, even in some of the deeper metrics yeah. that uh, Kevin Woodley tells us about? Yeah, and and hey, uh, there's no uh, Brad Shaw here anymore, right? Yeah. They brought Mike Owen, and we look at that stuff too. How much does that go into it? But Boudreau obviously was was part Mike of Mike Yo's Boudreau's guy. That's fine, but you're not finding the right system for these guys. If anything, I haven't I, found any solutions on the penalty kill. How many times have we heard the players talk about how the system is still something they're trying to figure out? At the at the Canucks event, yep. you and Vic were at. Yep. A few couple of weeks back, Quinn Hughes at length talked about how many adjustments they're making consistently and how they're trying to play differently on the PK and their systems play and they're trying to figure it out. But it gets, you know, it's hard. Like, it seems like a lot's been thrown at these guys and it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah. Like, you're not finding the answers. So even if you think that it's it's unfair to Boudreaux with how Rutherford has, you know, put him on under the spotlight at times, and if you feel like he hasn't been shown the confidence even if, even if you believe those things, what has Boudreaux done to overcome that environment for you to look at it and say, they should find a way to bring him back? Yeah. And again, no matter what Boudreaux did this year, short of winning the cup, maybe he wasn't <laughs> going to come back, right? Like, yeah. that's part of it too. But if we're evaluating, even under the circumstances, like it, it doesn't look good. It, it doesn't. And, you know, even Saturday night, you know, we did the pregame, we see the line come out, and... Uh, Miller playing with Horvat again and Lazar as their main winger. And you're looking at the lineup and you're going, what's, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And, and it didn't work <laughs> as we know. Um, it, it, it's tough because, you know, if there's reasoning behind some of the moves you're making and what you're trying to do. And sometimes even when Bruce is asked about it, it's kind of like just, trying to see and figure out what's going to work here. <laughs> like you, it, at times it just feels like, yeah, we're throwing it at the wall and seeing what sticks. <laughs> and and I, I don't know if that's exactly, you know, I'm, I'm sure Boudreaux is more in depth than that. And sometimes even more than what he's willing to share, but that's what it feels like at times. And maybe the roster is that frustrating because there isn't a lot of solutions and there isn't a lot of what is going to work. The duos don't match and it is a flawed roster. All those things do apply. But there are times when he is mixing up things that are actually working as well. Well, it's it's one of those things about what is your attention to detail like and what is your level of pre- pre- preparedness and what is that reflection on, on the team? And you could make the case that Boudreaux, more old school guy and how he prepares, not on top of things as much as yeah. maybe this organization wants. Does that reflect to how the team plays as well at times. They seem somewhat unprepared. Mm-hmm. Boudreau works hard. I'm not taking anything away from him, but it's more about... I have no at, doubt he works hard. Yeah. He does. He cares. He does work hard, but it's more about like evaluating the job that's being done and the things the organization set for him to accomplish, which isn't happening. Now, part of it could be, I'm going to find a way to have success no matter what. Great. We'll go and have success then. It may not be what I want, but at least you're having success doing what, what it is that you're doing. And I think, you know... Marcus makes a good point on the text inbox. Marcus and Gibson's shouldn't the organization test these new systems in the AHL and build a style of play the entire organization can play? Organizationally, that is the goal. Like we talk to people in the front office, we talk to guys yeah. in the organization about this. 
that are saying, yeah, ideally you want to have the same systems in AHL and the NHL, and then kind of have the same style of play and in, in, in and build a program. Yeah, you integrate people in the minors into what it what it's like to be a Canuck. This is what Canucks hockey looks like. Right now, how Abbotsford is playing and how the Canucks are playing here, completely different. Yeah. And Jeremy Carlton is doing a good job there. The question is, what they're doing in Abbotsford, is that ultimately what this team wants? And when they can hire their own coach, is that going to be a type of coach who's going to be implementing those types of things? And I think that's what the, what they want to see. And right now, with how Boudreaux's coach, I don't think there's alignment on w- the vision of what this organization wants it to be. And how similar it looks to what they want to do even at the lower levels to have symmetry between the AHL and the National Hockey League. Well, it's, it, it also, I think, is uh, indicative in how the front office is wanting the young players to play with the AHL squad <laughs> rather than on the big club right now. Um, it, it feels like, you know, there's a preference now to have those players there. And Nils Oman scored a couple of goals yesterday. You know, he's looking good uh, with, with Abbotsford since since going down. You know, there's some things that are happening there that just, quite frankly, aren't happening with the big club. And even if you want to leave those young players out of it, because, yeah, Bruce Boudreaux is looking for wins. He's a uh, lame duck head coach. You know, he's trying to do anything he can to get as many wins as he can. And what do we see coaches do when they are in that sort of a situation they lean on veterans for sure and you know i see the point somebody makes here saying hey i like how bruce is trying to find something that works better even when they're winning it doesn't look good like they have to be better that's true and i have time for that but when you constantly tell people what you're doing like if you if you keep throwing somebody a plan and you keep tearing that plan up yeah what happens you stop having faith in the plans that person is presenting to you you know what i mean so it's like that's why even if you have an imperfect plan, it's better to have buy-in on an imperfect plan because people will work towards a common goal as opposed to having a great plan that you can't get people to buy into. And the more you change your plan, the less likely you are to have people believing in what you have to say. And it's easy for us to say this on the outside looking in. I'm not trying to pretend that he's changed the plan all the time. But just to answer that question about we hear these guys talk about this. Things keep changing. You know, We're trying to do different things. That becomes frustrating to players. And yeah. At some point, it's just human nature. If people keep, if somebody keeps throwing solutions to you that don't work, and then they keep changing those solutions, your faith in it and your dedication to it's not going to be there. That's why you see guys go out, go rogue system wise every once in a while. Um, you know, two players that I think are very indicative of how this season has gone: Brock Besser and Connor Garland. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned Garland. He has been getting a little bit more ice time lately because he's played a lot with JT Miller. Yeah. Um, but Besser still can't seem to get a foothold on this lineup. They tried him back on power play one for a time, scored at least scored the one goal there, but we saw Kuzmenko back on power play one Saturday, which obviously wasn't working anyways. Um, and they were both playing with Sheldon Dries again on Saturday night. It's just... Uh, those two players, more than anyone, have probably um, disappointed this year on this in, in the in, entire organization. Yeah, and you know, Brock obviously everyone knows what he went through in the summer, and then he got injured to start the training camp. There's always some level of okay, you got to give the guy time to get going, but and his I, points are still oh, there. Oh, yeah, but overall, I don't think any everybody agrees. Even people that you know want to be more, more patient with Besser would admit. 
his game, he himself hasn't done enough this season yeah. to, to be given more opportunity. If anything, the fact that he's been playing on the first unit power play ahead of Kuzmenko has been head-scratching, yes. considering how the power play is not as efficient all of a sudden. Yeah. And Kuzmenko's been the far better player, and it's like, what is going on, right? So on that aspect, you can give some credit to it. But I don't think Bester's done enough individually to be given more opportunity this year. Yeah. Like, I, I, I can't fault Boudreau for that one. I can't believe I'm I'd saying this. I'd still rather see him play with I agree. Horvat and Miller than Curtis Lazar. I'll do respect to Lazar. Completely agree with that, right? Yeah. I completely agree with that point. Usage-wise, you still, I'm, I'm still there with you. But as far as affording opportunity, believe it or not, I'm going to stick up for Connor Garland here for a second. Because, like, I've been critical of Garland's play a lot this season. Yeah. And there are a lot of things about him I don't like. And, you know, I, I just... If you can find a way to trade him, do it. You know what I mean? Like th- That's how I view Connor Garland. He you does know. a lot without accomplishing a ton. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's very well said. And that's ultimately one of the gripes I have with him. But relative to the rest of the team, he's been no worse than most of those wingers this year outside of Mikheyev and Kuzmenko. Yeah. Like, those are the only two wingers you can say, okay, like they're, they're by, they've been better than Connor Garland. Garland's been better than any any other winger. I'm, I'm classifying JT as a center because he's playing down the middle mostly or should be playing down the middle right now, right? So why is he consistently getting the short end of the stick outside of recently now where he's playing a bit more and he's getting some confidence? But he had a good game. He has one bad period, one bad play, down the lineup. He yeah. gets healthy, scratched. All along, even last year, it's Boudreaux— like he's one step above like the Nils Hoaglander tier of winger on yeah. this, on, in Boudreaux's camp. Yeah, and even guys like Hoaglander and Podkolzin, you know, Boudreaux wasn't able to get those guys on board this year. Now, Hoaglander's had a couple coaches, but the dip that Podkolzin took— yeah. Could it be the environment as a team in general too, part of it? But as a as a coach, the player wasn't able to succeed under him this year. So I think that's a bit of an issue. But Garland to me is the biggest one I have a gripe with because there's no reason outside of I don't like this player why Boudreaux hasn't played him enough or at least hasn't put him in a position to be successful more, more recently, especially for a guy making a lot of money and for a guy who can't really bring you a lot unless he's being put in the position to be more offensively minded. Like that's the type of player that he is. So why are you shooting yourself in the foot by not utilizing this player more, but also like putting me in a position where he can't be successful? Like you're not helping your team no. win by using Connor Garland the way he's been using him for most of the season. Look, and bottom line is Connor Garland scores at even strength. And that's one of the things that this team has a problem doing, right? Even last year, yeah, Garland, at least at the start of Boudreaux's tenure, was not one of the guys that mm. immediately picked up his game. He was actually good at the start of the year and at the end of the year. But it seemed as though he sort of found a bit of a footing with Boudreaux at the end of last season. It, it, it's puzzling. You know, a lot of the lineup decisions are puzzling, and it speaks to a coach trying to find answers and not being able to find any. And at the end of the day, you have to put that on the coach because yes, he's there job. to find answers on how to get the job done yeah. and get more wins. Um, but it just it, it hasn't happened. Um, Travis Dermott. Yeah. Uh, two games. Uh, his Corsi is sitting around 14% through those two games. <laughs> Not that I'm a big Corsi guy, yeah. but that number really stood out to me. Yeah, okay? yeah, well, I know. I know. It's, it's alarmingly low. It's very bad. <laughs> So um, I'm not going to really harp on him too much because obviously very difficult situation yeah, yeah. he's been put in and uh, trying to like, you know, keep up with the pace of everybody in midseason form while he's really just starting from zero. So it's it's tough on a player in that situation. But where are we at with Travis Dermott and his uh, 
his Vancouver Canucks future. Well, one thing to keep in mind, the guy's coming into midseason hockey after suffering a concussion mm-hmm. early in training camp, not playing throughout the preseason, yeah. just having a, what one conditioning game and with Abbotsford and coming back up and playing. You got to give him, I'd say, up to a month to see him get up to speed and truly get a sense of where he's at game-wise. Yeah. But it's going to take at least 10 games. Yeah, it's going to take some time. Even more than that, I think. Yeah. Mid-season hockey, missing this much time. It, it takes, I mean, even Pedersen last year with being a bit wonky or whatever, it took him 40 games to figure it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? So sometimes it takes a long time. But for Dermot, especially off the head injuries and everything, I think sometimes there's a mental block with it too. So I think you just got to be patient with him. But traits-wise, there's a lot of things I like with what I've seen from Travis Dermot. His skating's still there. The mm-hmm. explosiveness and bursts is there. He's able to cover ground well. There's been a couple of times where he's been able to also stand guys up in defending one-on-one situations. So there are a lot of things I have liked about him in that sense. And those are the things I think this team needs more of. Like yeah. good individual defending on the back end, guys who can cover ground and recover well, you know. And overall, I think I have my concerns about him being a top four defenseman. But when I saw him play again, it was a reminder of the traits he does have. And then when he does find his form, there's something tangible he brings this defense does generally lack. On the left side, um, is there ever really going to be a spot for him in the top four? With Quinn Hughes and Oliver ekman Larson there? I, so I don't see him as a top four defenseman. Yeah. No, I also don't see Ethan Bear as a top four defenseman. They do have similar traits, too. What I do see, though, is that being an interesting third pair. Long-term? Travis Dermott and Ethan Bear. Yeah. If you can get a bear signed to an extension like Friedman was talking about, you know, a team-friendly number. You could probably get both of them, like, locked in for under $4 million on shorter-term yeah. deals. Yeah. That's what you're talking One or two years, maybe you do yeah. something along those lines. And I think if that's what you're Combined paying, under $4 million. And I think, you know, at worst, if those guys don't become top four defensemen for you, they can be your third pair. Yeah. And... And a really strong third pair. Yeah. You know, it's a bit different, but your third pair gets sheltered no matter what. So this whole idea of like, oh, who's the big physical guy or whatever. Well, you still need that. Maybe, you know, you have a Shen who plays in your top four or somebody like that in your top four or whatever. So there's still things that you need or whatever. But I think that's certainly a pairing that is a good fallback for you. Yeah. So if you start piece, putting the pieces together here, Bear and Dermot have solved one thing for you for next season. And that's at the very least, you feel like you have a third pair figured out. And guys that can move up and down your lineup a little bit. So you feel like you have those guys. What you still need is that higher-end quality. Yeah. Right? But as much as I like the things I've seen from Dermot and more so from Bear as well, I'm just not sure those guys are top four players on this team. Um, I've I, I really liked Ethan Bear. Uh, liked some of what I saw from Dermot last year, but I'm going to hold out on uh, providing an opinion just yet on 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 the player. Um. Interesting name dropped on waivers today, Sat. Jakob Vrana. Yeah. With the Detroit Red Wings. Has been one of the better five-on-five goal scorers the last couple of years. Of course, was in the player assistance program earlier this year. Was on a conditioning loan with AHL Grand Rapids. Played three games. Did not have a point. Um, I, I, I wonder if this... I mean, obviously, Detroit feels pretty good that he's going to get through waivers right now given his cap hit and everything else but um what do you think about this player i mean i think he's a very talented player good goal scorer has a lot of skill clearly is dealing with some with some stuff that you hope that he overcomes as a as a person and yeah. is healthy and he's able to live his life without you know dealing with these sort of things uh whatever it is that he is going through so that's first and foremost but 
as far as a player, there's a lot of things I do like about him, but it's more about knowing where that's going. Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, is this something he's going to be able to overcome? You know, is this a player you're going to be able to rely on to play for you if you're going out to acquire him? Those are things we don't know about. You have to do your kind of homework on it. But if those are things you feel like he can do, like, hey, he's human, he's going through things, but he can overcome them, be better and stronger and bring you something, then I think he's an interesting player. Not to go out and get and give up assets for. Yeah. But does it prevent? Pre- does it provide you a sort of interesting opportunity? So like money in, money out type thing? Yes, but I wouldn't do it for money in and money out. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, like for a player like Jacob Verana who has one more year left on his contract, this is just this is supposing he's actually on the market. He's gonna yeah. be he's gonna be available and playing, and the team would be willing to acquire him and all. These are just completely hypothetically supposing those things are true for the moment. I like the idea of Detroit maybe trading the player and then giving you something as well. Mm. So we were talking about they have an extra second round pick this year. They have extra fourth round pick next season. If they feel like this is a player they want to move off from, do you take that on and also get a second and a fourth potentially for either a Garland or a Besser going the other way? Because then you're getting money off the books. Yeah, Verana has one more year on his deal. Hey, he comes in and plays. If it's good, maybe he sticks or in whatever, or you trade him as an expiring contract. Or, or you're getting long-term money off the books. And, and, or maybe it doesn't work out at all, and he's got to be gone after the season, but at least you got a second and a fourth out of it. With how hard it is to make trades mm-hmm. and the unlikely scenario where the Canucks are able to just trade a Garland or a Besser this season without taking anything back, an expiring contract, obviously, we talked about. Yeah. Would you get that? Like a Lucic has been brought up. That would be maybe an ideal situation to move one of these contracts off the books. But those teams, maybe they're reluctant to give up a pick of that nature, a second round pick or something. But a team maybe looking to move off a contract like that and you're taking one more year for it. That's what I would be curious about. And there's very little risk involved there. Whereas you're taking some money on, but you're getting rid of long-term money and you're maybe getting a draft pick or two back in return. So I think that would be something that would pique my interest. I uh, I still do believe Detroit would have interest in Bo Horvat, but as a free agent. Yeah, depending on what happens with Larkin. Yeah. Um, they're already falling out of the playoff picture. They have 39 points. They're five points out. I mean, the East is pretty much set. The East is so hard, the, man. They're, they're having the a good Islanders season. and the they are having a good season. They're over five hundred. They are like they're over five hundred. They've got thirty nine points. They're doing pretty well, but you know, like I, I do think those final spots in the East are going to be fought for by you know all those teams in the Metropolitan Division, right? Mm-hmm. The 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 Capitals, the the Rangers, the Islanders, the Penguins. All those teams are going to be fighting for that final spot in uh, those final wild card spots. Um, I. But I still do think Detroit would be a team interested in Horvat should he make it to free agency, however that path comes about. But I wouldn't see them wanting to trade for Bo Horvat uh, at any point. So, like, I know some people were like, hey, his his cap hit kind of matches up with Bo, and they've got a lot of prospects. I, I don't see that being a thing. I don't see it either. I mean, for them to make that move, that would mean they would feel like they would also try to make the playoffs this year and feel like they have a good chance of doing so. Hey, listen, if they win the two games in hand and they keep going on a run, you get closer to deadline and you're kind of in the picture, maybe that changes the equation because yeah. they feel like, hey, this is a guy that we can bring back. But I think Verana wouldn't be what Vancouver would want in a Bo Horvat trade. Maybe you take that on if you make it worth their while. Vancouver's wild, that is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. It is Canuck Central. 